0: hello everybody. Welcome I'm Pam Pastor host of the Grace and Peace of God love winds podcast. I am thrilled that you found me. There is power in the name of Jesus. As we journey together, we will unleash discoveries of how to turn a hardest stone into one of moldable clay for the potter to transform. I hope you'll join me and others each week as we adventure and explore life together. Periodically, we'll delve into my mailbag and answer questions from listeners just like you. And if you have a question, make sure and email it to me at pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. Once again, that's pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. And today's uh, message is entitled, Your Rod and Your Staff. And we're looking at this in preparation for tomorrow's in-depth deep dive of Psalm 23. The Holy Spirit led me to focus on the rod and the staff that David makes reference to in Psalm 23, verse 4. Specifically, he says, Even when I walk through the dark valley of death, I will not be afraid, for you are close Beside me, your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. And no amount of strength or courage can overcome death. It's unconquerable in our world. Yet, for believers, Jesus did just that. He conquered death and he gave us the roadmap on how we also may follow him for eternal life. And still, death presents a frightening shadow to many. As we'll discuss, we can wrestle against enemies, disease, pain, and even suffering, but death has the final word. Or does it? I'm reminded in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, that death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Satan had the world fooled in the Garden of Eden and at the cross of Calvary. But Jesus had the last laugh upon rising from the dead and defeating death. We're no longer need to dread death or be fearful of it. Death has been defeated and our hope lives beyond the grave. Jesus walks with us through the dark valley and he brings us back up into the light. He is our shepherd offering us eternal comfort. And you may be wondering in what ways the rod and the staff bring comfort. Well, first allow me to define the rod and the staff or the stick scripture provides us with verses that either discuss the rod and its uses or figurative illustrations so when we look at uses for the rod we find that it's a sign of authority it's maybe the Egyptian staff it acts as punishment or a club or correction of children And when we look at the rod figuratively, we find that it's a type for Christ or Christ's role or authority or even that of the gospel. Now, what about the staff? Is this different from the rod? Well, yes and no. The staff is defined in Strong's Concordance as a long stick or rod and it's used for a traveler's support or it denotes food support, a military weapon. But the best definition I've heard is that the rod is God's word and the staff is the Holy Spirit. So when you read that verse, Psalm 23, verse 4, and you put in God's word or you put in Holy Spirit in place of rod and staff, it really brings to light that scripture verse. And we're going to discuss that more tomorrow on the podcast. But now let's begin by looking more in depth at a few examples of the usefulness of the rod. First, in Moses' day, the staff acted as a sign of authority, which we said previously. And Exodus chapter 4 verse 17 says, And be sure to take your shepherd's staff along so you can perform the miraculous signs I've shown you. In his hand, Moses carried the staff of God. Moses clung tightly to the shepherd's staff as he left for Egypt to face the greatest challenge of his life. The staff was his assurance of God's presence and power. When feeling uncertain, sometimes we need something to stabilize us and reassure us for the assurance when facing great trials. And God has given promises from his word and examples from great heroes of faith. As Christians, these are what we can hold on to. There will be times in life that we intentionally or unintentionally bump up against a formidable foe or an entire legion of foes. If you listen to my previous podcasts, we've discussed the power of principalities and Satan's fallen angels who at times use people to champion their causes. But always remember, God is stronger. And now Exodus chapter 7 verses 1 through 13 teaches us about one such encounter. And let me share with you what happened when Moses' staff became like a snake. Moses' staff becomes a snake. Then the Lord said to Moses, "'Pay close attention to this. I will make you seem like God to Pharaoh. Your brother Aaron will be your prophet. He will speak for you.' Tell Aaron everything I say to you and have him announce it to Pharaoh. He will demand that the people of Israel be allowed to leave Egypt, but I will cause Pharaoh to be stubborn so I can multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Even then, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so I will crush Egypt with a series of disasters." after which I will lead the forces of Israel out with great acts of judgment. When I show the Egyptians my power and force them to let the Israelites go, they will realize that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 at the time. They made their demands to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh will demand that you show him a miracle to prove that God has sent you. When he makes this demand, say to Aaron, throw down your shepherd's staff and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and they performed the miracle just as the Lord had told them. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his court and it became a snake. Then Pharaoh called in his wise men and magicians and they did the same thing with their secret arts. Their staves became snakes too, but then Aaron's snakes swallowed up their snakes. Pharaoh's heart, however, remained hard and stubborn. He still refused to listen, just as the Lord had predicted. So God already knew the evil that Moses was up against in the Pharaoh. In this situation, there was one thing to do, and that was for God to make Moses like God to Pharaoh. In other words, a powerful person who deserved to be listened to. You see, Pharaoh was considered a god, small g, among the Egyptians. He felt he was on par with Moses. His equal is a peer. He didn't feel inferior as evidenced by his unyielding attitude. Pharaoh's wise men were able to duplicate Moses' miracle using satanic power involving illusions and trickery. Satan has not come up with anything new since the beginning of time. He mimics God's kingdom all the way down to the Holy Trinity. Satan has a false prophet, the beast, and himself making up an unholy trinity. He is a copycat in every sense of the word. Worshiping gods in the underworld was a part of Egyptian religion. If Pharaoh's magicians had been as powerful as God, they would have reversed the plagues, not added to them. The miracle that God performed was turning Moses' staff into a snake. And in turn, Pharaoh's magicians did the same thing through sorcery. Sometimes miracles help our faith and we believe. But we must be careful in relying on a miracle alone. And Satan can mimic some parts of God's work, but not all. However, sometimes people are led astray by succumbing to miracles and wanting to see more. Pharaoh even chose to focus on the miracle rather than the message it presented. To avoid this error, we need to focus on the word of God as our source for faith. None of God's miracles will ever contradict his word now let's look at the figurative uses of the rod and the staff. In Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1, we learn out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. This was saying that Judah, the royal line of David, would be like a tree chopped down to a stump. But from that stump, a new shoot would grow. That would be the Messiah. He would be greater than the original tree and bear much fruit. God had promised that a descendant of David would rule forever. This was our first figurative example of the branch representing Christ. This branch is interchangeable for rod or staff, according to Strong's Concordance. Looking at Psalm 2, the theme is expressing God's ultimate rule. This psalm was written to celebrate the coronation of an Israelite king, but also it was written for the coronation of Christ, who is our eternal king. Psalm chapter 2, verse 9 says, You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. We must realize that we're under Christ's authority and must be fully surrendered to him and his leadership. And in Psalm chapter 2, verse 9, he is our iron rod directing and guiding us. And God's word is very clear and explicit about our enemies. Romans chapter 12, verse 20 tells us, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Instead of repaying evil for evil, we're to do good to our enemies. We're told to be proactive when we heap coals of fire on another's head. So, what exactly is coals of fire? Well, here Jesus is referring to shame or remorse for their actions against us. I once had a boss who said, Be careful what you wish for. I don't know about you, but not too many people would knowingly invite a plethora of evil into their lives, unleashing Satan and his minions. And this takes us to a stern warning about our enemies. We find it in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 29, where we're told, Do not rejoice, you Philistines, that the king who attacked you is dead. For even though that whip is broken, his son will be worse than his father ever was. From that snake, a poisonous snake will be born, a fiery serpent to destroy you. And you know, I'm also reminded of King Solomon and his son who followed him. Solomon sought out God's wisdom and it was given to him. He was arguably the wisest person to have ever lived. Yet his son, being his successor, had asked many opinions of all kinds of people before making a decision. So a kingdom decision was based on other people's opinions. He didn't go directly to God as he should have. So when we're in this situation, we need to pray for the Lord's divine intervention. Prayer needs to be our first line of defense, our first response. We must acknowledge God's sovereignty over our situations. He must be respected for who he is and what he can do. And remember, God rules over nations and people. Anyone who claims to be an atheist is plain arrogant. And that isn't my opinion. While I do agree, but scripture teaches that even the demons tremble at the name of Jesus. When God gets involved, people will be treated the way that they had treated others. God defends nations and people for the sake of his honor. God's always prepared to do the impossible if we will only ask him. And in Psalm chapter 110, verse 2, David says, The Lord will extend your powerful dominion from Jerusalem. You will rule over your enemies. Did you catch that? You will rule over your enemies. David is saying as God's children, we're not to be the tail, but rather the head. We're to lend and not to borrow. These are all characteristics of being a ruler over our enemies. Inconceivably, Everyone can say that they know at least a handful of people, and yet many people have only a vague belief in God and they refuse to accept Jesus as the one true son of God that he is. They categorize him into the compartment of great human teacher, uh, priest, prophet, but the Bible is clear and does not allow that as an option. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament proclaim Jesus' deity. Jesus explained that this psalm spoke of the Messiah as greater than David, Israel's greatest king, and Peter used this psalm to show Jesus sitting at God's right hand, and he's Lord over all. One cannot straddle the fence calling Jesus just a good teacher. The Bible clearly says he is Lord over all. So traveling back to the roots of the Bible, we meet up with Jacob in Genesis chapter 32 verse 10. Here's what he said. I'm not worthy of all the faithfulness and unfailing love you've shown to me, your servant. When I left home, I owned nothing except a walking stick, and now my household fills two camps. You see, Jacob was about to meet up with his brother, whom he had not seen in 20 years. Jacob was a shyster. He was deceptive by nature. He had stolen his brother's birthright. He was frantic. He realized his actions were like that of the poisonous snake that we spoke about earlier. And Jacob did what I'm asking us to do. He paused and he prayed to the one true God who could bring him restoration Jacob had to be persistent in prayer with God, so much so that he would wrestle with him all night. And God encourages us to press forward, being tenacious. We develop a strong character as we struggle through tough conditions, not collapsing like a cheap lawn chair under the enormous pressures and challenges. Jacob's brother Esau would meet with him, and the bitterness was gone. He had a change of heart. He was content. And this was a God thing, only a miracle he would have been able to orchestrate. So here the walking stick was representative of a traveler's support. All right, well, tune in tomorrow as we explore all of Psalm 23 and the many nuances found within it. And friends, today, if you want to become a child of God and spend eternity in heaven, not somewhere else, then I invite you to pray this prayer of invitation to our Lord Jesus Christ. Repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I repent and turn away from my sins. Come into and take up residence within my heart. I believe your blood was shed for all who believe that you took on the sin of humanity at the cross of Calvary. Amen. Friends, if you prayed that prayer of salvation, I believe you were saved and born again spiritually. Your next step is to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you. Get into a good Bible-based church to surround yourself with other like-minded believers. And now let me be the first to congratulate you on the most important decision that you've ever made. Congratulations. God bless you. As you go out into the world, remember the priestly blessing from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show his favor and give you his peace. Amen. The Grace of Peace God Love Wins podcast will be available most days during the week. And a special Kid Talk podcast will air on Wednesdays. Tune in along with your children for your favorite Bible stories that you grew up with. And coming up on the next Kid Talk, I'm going to have my grandson as a host. His name is Aiden, and he's going to be taking us through a special Bible story. One that I think you will really like, so don't miss it we'll be discussing and sharing Jesus's unlimited power in our present day lives. We delve into many topics such as forgiveness, how to be joyful, and what love in action looks like and many more topics. I invite you and your friends to come alongside me as we embark on a podcast of adventure and exploration of life together. So please join me and if you like this podcast make sure to hit like and subscribe so that you'll get the latest episodes when they become available. And much of today's podcast was referenced from my book, The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. If you found the content inspiring or interesting, you can pick up a copy of the book from my website, Copywriting.com or at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or dorance.com. And if you're unable to afford a copy, please write to me and I'll find a way to get a free copy into your hands. Additionally, if you know anyone who may be interested in this material, please share a copy with them too. And until next time, be blessed.